Amen. Well, can I start by asking you quite an in-your-face kind of question? And uh, I'm not going to apologize for asking it, but I'm just sort of warning you, it is quite in your face, and it's this. Are you faking it as a Christian? Or, Or even just to sort of say, are you sometimes feeling like a little bit of a fraud, a fake as a Christian? Because I've got to say, there are some times when I feel just like that. And sometimes we need a, a bit of a jolt with a question like that to wake us up to the reality of that hypocrisy in our lives. 20 years ago, um, just as uh, reality TV was just starting out, uh, Channel 4 put on a really popular uh, series called Faking It. It ran for seven series, and it featured uh, these intrepid volunteers who were plucked out of their natural habitat, and they were given four weeks to master a particular skill so well that they could fool a panel of expert judges. Uh, So you had things like a cellist faking it as a DJ. had a sheep shearer faking it as a hairdresser. We all need one of those at the moment. You had a naval officer faking it as a drag queen. You had a management consultant, not me, uh, faking it as a dog trainer. You get the kind of picture. And one week it was um, a vicar, a vicar trying to fake it as a second-hand car dealer. And he did a pretty good job of it. But what was most fascinating, actually, was not the, the sort of the, the actual time, but for him, a few months or even years, I think it was, as he looked back on his experience on this program. And this is what he said. He said, I realized in trying to fake it as a car dealer that I'd already begun to fake it as a vicar. I'd taken on some of the norms of what a vicar was like, and I'd become a bit of a young fogey. Now, no comments, please, on Jamie or Tim or H being a bit of a young fogey or me being an old fogey for that matter. But uh, you, you may not be a vicar, but most of you listening, you would probably call yourself a a Christian. And here's the question. Here is the question. Have you taken on some of those sort of subcultural norms of being a Christian, even if those subcultural norms for, for your and my Christian context are not being a bit of a young fogey? Are you faking it as a Christian? And perhaps, you know, with all the COVID restrictions of the last uh, year, perhaps with time to reflect, perhaps with less gathering in person as a church community, perhaps you have started even to wonder, am I faking it as a Christian? Now, I ask this because we're in the second week of our Questioning Jesus sermon series, and we're looking at all these different questions that the disciples asked Jesus the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And the question today is, who is it? Who is it? And it's asked in response to Jesus saying that one of the 12 disciples would betray him. That one of the 12 was a fake. Have a look at verse 25. Verse 25, leaning back against Jesus. He, that's the disciple John, who's the writer of this gospel. He asked Jesus, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And there's Judas. Just picture the scene. Judas is there with a choice to be made. And Judas chooses to take the bread. Verse 27, he chooses to be in league with Satan. He chooses to betray Jesus. And so verse 30, we read, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. 
Jesus was the one who came to bring light to this world. As we sang, Jesus, light of the world. You step down into darkness. And there's Judas. Judas, the betrayer of light. And Judas choosing to leave Jesus. And as he does, he prophetically, he symbolically walks out into the darkness. And I wonder, would you have spotted Judas faking it as a disciple of Jesus if you'd been one of that expert panel? You know, Judas, who had listened to all of Jesus' teaching, who, who had seen Jesus' miracles, who'd been part of Jesus' evangelistic mission trips. Judas, who'd been thought to be so reliable, he was appointed treasurer of the group. Judas, he seemed a model believer. And yet, it was all a facade. He was a fraud, a fake. He was a betrayer of Jesus, not a disciple of Jesus. And no one at all realized it. Now, I'm aware that in the last few weeks and months, sadly, there have been a few high-profile Christian leaders who've been shown up to be frauds and fakes in some way or other. Some through moral failings, some even worse through criminal failings, systematic sexual and spiritual abuse. Now, most importantly, when something like this tragically happens, our hearts, they go out to the victims of those betrayed by the actions of these people. But also, many, many, many other Christians' trust has been betrayed by these individuals, these Christian leaders who so many of us looked up to. Uh, in a helpful article that Tanya Marlowe wrote about one of these cases, she wrote about the perpetrator and she said this, he claimed to be something and he was the opposite. Similar to Judas claiming to be something and yet he was the opposite. And so may I say this morning, if you have been particularly impacted by the betrayal, the fakery of these recent cases, or even if there's been a situation more personal to you of betrayal of someone close to you claiming to be something and yet actually being the very opposite, please would you not keep it in the dark? Please would you talk about it with someone, whether that's a connect group leader, one of the staff team, or whoever. Now as I speak there may be one or two Judas-like characters listening. People who claim to be something and who are actually the very opposite. And if that's you, I pray that God's spirit would convict you and that you, this day, you would choose to turn your heart, turn your life around and stop living claiming to be the opposite of what you actually are. However, the truth is that most of us will not be the equivalent of Judas. Thank God. So please today, please do not wallow in any false guilt. That would be the completely the wrong application for today. However, that doesn't mean that there is no challenge for us all in looking at Judas because all of us, we will have elements of faking it. We will have elements of hypocrisy in us. I certainly do. And just to explain a little what I mean, let me read just part of a hugely insightful article written by Kathy Keller for church leaders. But actually, I think this article, I think it is relevant to us all, whoever we are. This is part of what Kathy Keller writes. She says this. says, the day will come when you have to deliver a sermon or counsel someone in need or listen to a heart-sick soul or you might add, lead a connect group or be part of a hosting team at church or be a follower of Jesus in your day-to-day -day work or be a follower of Jesus in your home with your family or housemates or whatever it might be and you'll be in no fit condition to do it. 
Your prayer life may be lagging or you have an unreconciled relationship that needs attention or any number of things may have interrupted your communion with God and your rejoicing in the gospel. When that day arrives, you must sit down at whatever expense of time and ruination to your schedule and get right with God. But what you will be tempted to do And what most of us do actually do is to say, I don't have the time to get back into fellowship with God before this sermon, lesson, counselling session, pastoral appointment, or whatever it may be for you. But, we say, I know what needs to be said or done. So I'll just do it, even though my heart is cold, and then straighten things out with God afterward. And if you're unlucky, says Kathy Keller, you'll get away with it. The talk gets delivered and is even praised. The person you meet with professes gratitude and seems to be helped. The meeting runs smoothly, so you do it again and again and again. And after a while, you hardly even admit to yourself that you're faking interest in the other person, faking enthusiasm for Christ and his gospel, faking your entire Christian life because you don't even recall what it was like to have a vibrant relationship to God. You have become hollow. You may still look and sound good on the outside, but inside, the reality of God's presence is gone. Has that been you? Is that you now? On that slippery slope to becoming hollow, Looking and sounding good on the outside, but inside the reality of the presence of God has gone. You know, my guess is actually that is probably quite a few of us. I would say it's certainly been me at times over this last year. And I don't say this as an excuse But I do think that the uniqueness of this last year has almost fostered the hypocrisy and fakery amongst us, us being removed from one another, us being less accountable to one another. So much of the year on Zoom, and how does Zoom work? We all know it. You know, all looks perfect on the screen. I've perfectly curated my background so that everything looks wonderful within that magic rectangle. But outside of it, well, you know, it's a mess. You know, there's dirty plates or dirty clothes on the floor. I'm wearing my tracky bottoms, but I've got a nice shirt on up top. I can press mute whenever the, the noise of the children is too loud in the background. All looks perfect in the magic rectangle. But outside of it, it's a mess. And we've all been there in the physical, and what we've experienced in the physical, I fear and I sense too often it has been mirrored in the spiritual we, we look and we sound good on the outside, where it can be seen, in that magic rectangle. But inside, off screen, off camera, out of sight, in our hearts, it's a mess. The reality of God's presence has gone. You know, looking calm on the outside, but inside a, a seething ball of fury. Has that been you? Because it's been me looking all perfectly wonderful as a Christian on a Sunday, but actually one's actions on a Saturday, very, very different. Has that been you? Because it's been me. Looking a fine, upstanding Christian, and yet on the inside, indifferent, apathetic, hollow to our Lord. Has that been you? Because it's been me. And you know, assuming I'm not the only one that has either felt like that or is feeling like that or will feel like that. 
How does Jesus Christ, how does he enter into our mess? How does Jesus deal with our off-screen, everything outside of that perfectly curated magic rectangle? How does Jesus deal with all the rest, all the hypocrisy, all the stuff? Well, very simply, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. I wonder if you notice throughout the passage as Emma read it that what is abundantly clear is that Jesus, he's not caught by surprise with Judas' actions. In fact, seven times in our passage, we read that Jesus knew exactly what was going on. Let me just show you one example. Verse 19, Jesus says, I am telling you now that I'll be betrayed before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Now, what does Jesus say there? So that you will believe that I am who I am, the very name of God in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ, he is God. So, of course, Jesus knows. Jesus knew Judas's heart. And Jesus knows our hearts and our hypocrisy and our hollowness. Jesus is not surprised by any of it at all. And Jesus knows all our confusion too. The other 11 disciples, they are totally confused what is going on. It tells us that twice in the passage. And you, you may be feeling confused at the moment, confused in this world that we live in, confused about COVID, confused about Christian leaders, confused about something else, whatever it may be, we feel all these things. And you see, when we're living as hypocrites, when we're feeling hollow in our faith, When we're feeling confused about our circumstances and situation in life, and we will all, to some degree or other, be feeling like that, well, then we have a choice. And the choice is either to move away from Jesus, to think that Jesus doesn't really care about us, to turn our backs on Jesus, to leave Jesus, to walk out into the night like Judas. We either have a choice to leave Or we choose to lean. We choose to lean like the disciple John. To lean on Jesus. There's that simple choice to choose to leave or lean. Look at verse 25. It says, leaning back against Jesus. John asked him, Lord, who is it? And just as John physically did at the Last Supper, so you and I, we can do spiritually. We can lean against Jesus. We can bring our questions and our confusions and our hollowness and our hypocrisy. We can bring it all to Jesus and we can keep leaning on him in the midst of our mess. You see, it's not just that Jesus knows, but also Jesus loves. Jesus loves Just look back for a moment to the very first verse in chapter 13, the verse that summarizes this whole sort of chunk of John's gospel that we're looking at. And what does John write? He says it was just before the Passover feast. He's pointing us to the fact that Jesus Jesus is about to die as the Passover lamb on the cross. And then we see the two themes of this whole section of John's gospel written in this one verse. First of all, we see Jesus knows. Look at it. John writes, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father via the cross so Jesus knows but then John continues he says having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love so Jesus he knows but also Jesus loves 
And how does Jesus love? Well, firstly, by washing the disciples' feet like we saw last week, then by letting John lean against him. But ultimately, Jesus shows the full extent of his love through going to the cross to die for you and for me. And it is the cross that is the context at the end of our passage too. Look on to verse 34. What does Jesus say? He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. You see, love of others, that is the antidote to faking it. That is the antidote to us being hypocrites. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it's a love that is modeled on the cross. It's not a sort of gooey emotional love, but it's a love in action. It's a giving of ourselves up for someone else. It's choosing to sacrifice our rights, our time, our preferences, our priorities, our well-being, sacrifice our life for someone else. Because you can have a correct doctrinal understanding and still be a fake and a fraud. You can be seen to be an upright, moral person, both in church and in society, and still be a fake and a fraud. You can have ecstatic experiences, and still be a fake and a fraud. You can convert people to Christ and perform miracles, and still be a fake and a fraud. But love that is sacrificial, Love that is in action, that kind of love, it cannot be faked. And Jesus says, verse 35, that is how people will know that we are his followers, if we love one another. And yet the wonderful truth is this, that even when you and I fail in our loving others, as we will, as I do all too often, even when we fail, Jesus Christ, the one who knows everything, the one who knows our hypocrisy, our hollowness, our failures, our confusion. Jesus, the one who knows when we're faking it. Jesus is still lovingly there for you and for me to lean on him. And so as I close, can I encourage you, please don't choose to leave. Don't choose to leave and go out into the night away from Jesus. For despite our hypocrisy, despite our fakery, despite our hollowness, Jesus Christ, he gave his life in love for you and for me. And Jesus, he is present right now by his spirit. He is present for you and me to lean on him.